Listener supported. WNYC Studios. So many white guys. So many. So many white guys. So white. How much whiteness? Welcome to So Many White Guys. I'm your host, Phoebe to the Robinson. I'm happy to be back in your eardrums, you sexy babies. And I mean babies as in BBS, the abbreviation, not like as in babies, like actual babies. Cool. All right. This is episode numero quattro. (laughs) You know it. Donde esta? <laughs> and with me, because where would I be without her? The love of my platonic life, Joanna Salataroff. So yo. <laughs> that means it's me. Okay, here's the tea. Joanna, you texted me last night being like, I'm sick. I can't breathe. I went to the pharmacy. Why are you here today? You're not supposed to be working when you're sick. You know, a producer's got to produce. Thanks for that rousing speech, Coach Taylor. I'm like Rudy. <laughs> like a shark, I can't stop swimming. And like myself, I can't stop having a sinus infection. This is like the third one you've had since I've known you. I know. I'm going to go to the ENT doctor because I think I might have a deviated septum. That's what Jennifer Aniston had. And then she got her nose fixed. Yeah. So is that what you're going to do? <laughs> Why do you ask? Because I don't want you to change your nose. Oh, thanks, baby. No, I'm going to keep it as is. Great. Yeah. It's so cute. Thank you. Anyway, more importantly, I was so excited for this Margaret Cho interview. I, like, couldn't sleep last night. Wait, Joni, you're already sick and now you're not sleeping? Well, I'm like a hardcore insomniac. Oh. I can't sleep. It's bad. My whole family, we're just, like, all insomniacs. Wait, even ever since you were a little kid, you couldn't sleep? Yeah. Like, Damn. both my parents were insomniacs, and so there would be times where, like, all of us would just be awake and hanging out in the middle of the night. At, like, what? Like, one in the morning? Like, three or four in the morning. Dom, Donald. I know. It's very weird. It's really weird. And I used to just, like, pace around the house when I couldn't sleep like some creepy ghost kid. <laughs> Wait, do you have insomnia at all or, like, any weird sleep thing? I only had it in December when I was, like, shooting I Love Dick and traveling and wrapping up book tour stuff. And I just, because I was just bouncing around so much, my body, like, shut down on me. But that was the first time I ever had insomnia, and I haven't had it since. Yeah, so for you, it's, like, a stress Mm -hmm, thing. mm -hmm. Dang. Yeah, when I was in my 20s, I went to a sleep clinic. I went to the sleep doctor, and he was like, well, let me take a look at you. You might have sleep apnea. And I was like, I really don't think that's an option. And he was like, I, I know because I'm a doctor, but thank you. And then he <laughs> examined me, and he's like, well, your tongue is pretty big for your mouth. So oh, that is a possibility. I know why you have boyfriends. Oh, my God, that's so gross. <laughs> yeah, because of my giant tongue. Yeah. Gross. No. My mom listens to this. Anyway, you know, I think it's time for us to segue into our next segment. 
as you know, each week, executive producer Alana Glazer and I, wait, we wait, get wait, together wait, and we... Can you yeah? hold that thought for a second? Wait, why? Um, Alana's here, and she said that instead of across the aisle, she wants to apologize to you for something. What could she have to apologize for? She paid me back all the money she owes me. Like, she apologized for firing the cab the other day with me. Like, Ugh. Sorry, no, I... I mean, that's gross. I'm glad she apologized, but I don't know. Okay. I don't know why she's here, but she's coming in right now. So, uh, all right. try to look less mad. Okay. Yay! Okay, so, um, Phoebe. Hey, boo. Hi, my baby. Um, I'm here to talk about something very important, which is apologizing on behalf of white people. Uh, Alana, you don't... You don't have to do this. I do have to because this is one of two or three places probably where this can be done today in this political climate. Yes. Um, okay. I wanted to apologize to you today uh, on behalf of white people for Gwen Stefani. Oh, yeah. We did not keep an eye on our pack. You know, we did mm-hmm. not watch the pack on Gwen Stefani. She slipped through our fingers and now she is just... Flying too close to the sun. We let her, we let her have her bindi. Oof. We let her have braids and mm. cornrows and mm. use Asian women as props. We really, really missed the ball on that one. And then we let her become one of the most famous people in the world who now looks younger than she did when she was dope. Yeah. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm so Sorry for Gwen Stefani and Blake Shart- Chardon, um Wait, Shelton? Shartan. Shartan. Blake Shelton? Shartan. Cool. Um, just so sorry. She's become him, you know, one of them. Yeah. Um, so sorry for that. Uh, I'm going to get the message out to white people. I'm going to tweet, going to Insta, going to change.org. And um, yeah, you'll be seeing a change from white people soon. Uh, well, thank you so much. I got we got to get back to work, but... I appreciate the apology. That that was very thoughtful of you. Okay. Um, yeah. You're very welcome, and I'm just um, kind of obsessed. So yeah. um, I'll be back. I got more to more to say, and there's a, a lot to apologize for. So yeah. I'll talk to you um, soon. Great. Thanks. Have a good uh, rest of your listening experience. Bye, listener. Phoebe, there's something that I'm also sorry about. What? I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. We got to throw to mid-roll. Joanna, why don't we just, like, change the rules for season two? I'm so sorry. I can't do that. I know why you came here. You didn't come here to hear some pesky commercial break. You didn't come here to hear me chat with my producer, Joni Mitchell, not the singer. Phoebe, I can still hear you. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. LOL. You're hilarious. (laughs) Anyway, today, today, T-O-D-A-Y, I get to chat with one of my comedy icons. Holy fuckballs, you guys. I'm so excited about this episode. She's been a huge inspiration to me throughout the years. I grew up watching her and loving her work. You guys, I'm talking about Margaret fucking Cho. And yes, that is her middle name. So don't you motherfucking fact check it and tweet at me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh 
my god i love her so much i like lived for all american girl yes that show was hilarious and it was the first primetime sitcom to feature an asian american cast so for the past 20 years margaret's work has mixed comedy and activism okay I mean, she's never shied away from speaking her mind and fighting for what she believes in. She's been given humanitarian awards, she's got Emmy noms, and she's hot AF. Oh yeah, by the way, her comedy album, American Myth, was just nominated for Best Comedy Album Grammy. This woman does not quit. She's too legit to do that, all right? So I wanted to talk to her about her life and her work in comedy. She's changed the game and is a freaking legend. Please welcome to the stage, Margaret Cho! I'm so glad you're on So Many White Guys. You're one of my all-time favorite comedians. Thank you. So this is, like, really, I'm going to try not to fangirl too much. This is great. Okay, good. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So you were a teenager when you started doing stand-up? Yes. Yes, I was 14. Wow. And I was doing... uh, It was kind of school-related as I was going to high school performing arts. So I had a teacher who was signing me and Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell and I had a comedy duo when we were, like, little kids. Yeah, I saw a video of it online. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So he and I were real little kids, and she – this is probably inappropriate thinking about it now, but she would sign us up for comedy club open mic nights, which – now I'm like, it was pretty inappropriate for her to just, like, sign us up in, like, a bar mm-hmm. to do shows. But I'm I'm really glad she did. That's cool. So what what were you talking about at 14? Like, what was your material? Is it just, like, about your family? and? Well, yeah, a little bit about my mom and a little bit about growing up. And then also a lot of comics at that point were doing Asian driver jokes. This was, like, a very big thing in San Francisco is that you would really? do a lot of Asian driver jokes. So I would come on after them and I would say, my name is Margaret Cho and I drive very well. And it would be like, ah, oh. <laughs> And then, but so it's also sort of like commenting on the racism that I was seeing around me. Mm-hmm. So this was like a part of my act that grew over time too. Um, and then I was talking about my upbringing, talking about my family that, you know, my mom and, and stuff that like, it's actually still my act now to some degree, mm-hmm. you know. I figure, like, with comics, my philosophy is that we only have a few different jokes, and then your entire career is telling those jokes in different ways. Mm-hmm. So mine is basically, I don't belong here. That's my statement as a comedian. I don't belong here. So what all of my jokes are sort of from this outsider perspective. Outsider but you don't belong in. where? Like, that on I this don't, planet? You know, I don't belong in, like, a comedy club. All of my jokes are kind of about that experience of being out of place. So I try to riff on that, basically. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so I want to talk to you about one of my favorite specials of yours. I'm the one that I want. Oh, yes. Uh, which Thank is you. so amazing. Thank you. And um, you open up about sex and that. Mm-hmm. And at one point you ask, am I gay? Did you have sex with a woman? I'm wondering, like, what is what was it like for you to process your sexuality and figure out, like, what you like and who you are on stage? I think it's weird, like, you know, when you're somebody who doesn't fit in that mold of either being straight or gay, if you're Mm -hmm. kind of not in the middle necessarily, but, you know, we're very invisible. Like, our sexuality is kind of looked at from both sides as suspect. Like, if you're um, 
not gay, then what are you doing in this gay space? Or if you're not straight, what are you doing in the straight space? So it's something that, like, I I still try to figure out, and Mm -hmm. I still don't really know. Like, I... I don't have a lot of experience in talking about bisexuality or or my kind of queerness, which I don't even know if bisexuality is quite exactly what it is. I don't know. Are you more like fluid? What do you? Th- I don't how would know. you identify? Okay, I think I'm like. Well, right now I feel very anti-sex. So that, that's my Wait, own. Why? Why now? Just like having anyone that you're like interested in. I think just- it's aging, you mm. know, and after. You know, in the 90s, we were so sex positive because we were coming out of this AIDS panic Mm -hmm. where we were trying to find other ways to be sexual that had little to do with fluid bonding um, and more to do with the imagination. So it was more like being sex positive was so important Mm. that you went into these, like, areas of exploration that were really kind of vast and very unique to the 90s. So going through all of that— and kind of experiencing all these different things. And now I'm kind of like, well, do I even like this? Like, I don't even know. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not even sure how much I like things as opposed to, like, what am I fighting against? And all of these, like, questions like, you know, my aging, too. I'm like, I don't even know how much I even want to engage in sexuality or mm-hmm. even think about things in those terms anymore. So I have no idea. It's yeah. weird how sexuality changes as you get older and how so much of it has to do with your political stance and mm-hmm. how you feel about mm-hmm. the status quo. Because I spent a lot of time fighting that and trying to be really sex positive. But now I'm like, am I sex negative? I might be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But I, I don't know. Like I, um, I myself, uh, I'm just old now. When you stop menstruating, which mm-hmm. is happening to me, it's real. It, do you like that? Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. But it's also real weird. Yeah. Because, like, a lot of the way that we are driven, I think, as women is hormonally. And that's not in, like, obvious ways. But, like, I'm, like, driven by different kinds of ambitions now. Like, mm-hmm. now I just— uh, I just want to sleep more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't get crushes on people anymore. That's weird. Oh, no. I know. Isn't that sad? That, that is a little bit. I love having a crush. Yeah. But it's <sighs> when you don't have it anymore, it really makes your mind very free. To, like, do things. To, think, to do things <laughs> or think about other things. Yeah. And it's a trip, though, because so much of my life had been driven by – crushes on men or women mm. or even like neighborhoods yeah. or kinds of food or whatever. I, my entire system is rebooting in ways that I'm unfamiliar with. So the end of menstruation is very strange. Yeah. And do you feel like you're having to kind of like redefine who you are to yourself? Because I think so much of our identities is about like periods and like getting pregnant or not getting pregnant and like how do you view yourself as a woman now? I don't know. Things really change. You know, you think – I mean so much of my ambitions are different because so much of it also was driven by like I want to have a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I really want to have a kid. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like I don't want to have a kid. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I'm like now that I have no ability to have a kid, I'm like I don't want one at all. Yeah. You know, and I love kids. Like so – that's very shocking to me to have no desire to have children anymore. That's how I feel right now too. As a father, like a guy, there's a way to kind of flow in and out. Mm-hmm. And with women, you really 
you know, you have to like be there. Yeah. You know, in a yeah. way that I think is just really intense and draining. And I don't yeah. know. All I know is that all of the women who had kids fell behind in their careers mm-hmm. without fail mm-hmm. in, in terms of comedy, yeah. like our profession. Every single one of us who had children fell far short of their expectations. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know. I wasn't willing to do that. Now, all their kids are like 20-something. Yeah. And they really sacrificed a lot of their potential, mm-hmm. I thought. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, they had great growth in other areas, which I don't have. Now they have kids. Yeah. You know, which is another great achievement of life. So the achievements can't be your IMDb profile. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> There's got to be other things. But, yeah, I, I think what's great is that we we live in a world where it's, like, fine to make those decisions. Yeah, and yeah. That's really cool. You know, I look yeah. at Ali Wong. Yeah, she's amazing. I love. Yeah. And she's obviously very successful mom. Yeah. So, you know, maybe that's the way to do it, you know, is, is to make your work about that pregnancy, too. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. maybe the way that she's, like— changing the game again you know she's like bringing her motherhood into it which is very cool yeah so you said you're anti-sex are you single right now i am single you are okay i'm single i've never been without somebody until now which is great so you just always gone from relation to relationship what do you think was like the the motivation behind that is it like you didn't want to be alone or like you just have always been like you just want to explore different people like what I was always very anchored if I was in a relationship and that I really constantly needed that, especially because I was on the road so much by myself. Mm -hmm. So I needed to know that I had somebody to come home to, like that my life was not just point A to point B. It was going back to point A again, Mm -hmm. like that there was always a person that was my point A that um, would be waiting for me. It just was like that. And I never planned it that way. It just happened. Yeah. I mean, I look back at my life and I really do regret that I didn't have enough time alone. Mm. So that's the one thing I'm like, I kind of wish that I had spent more time single. Yeah. And so you feel like you're getting to know yourself now? Yes. And what has surprised you about yourself? That I am really good alone. This Mm. is the best. I always knew that I would be because I've been on the road so much by myself, like— and I always love being on the road. Like, yeah. I realized the reason I love being on the road is I love being alone. Mm. Like, I love being alone in a hotel room. I love flying on a plane alone. I love being in a city by myself. Yeah. It's so fun. I love being in a city by myself and then able to, like, go and hang out with other comics. Mm-hmm. Like, so fun. And I realized I've been denying myself this great joy of being alone. And, and people always get scared, like, oh, I'm going to die alone. I'm like, I hope I die alone. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> great yeah. you know that's the best thing you could do yeah that's cool so i'm gonna i want to go back to the beginning a little bit so you mentioned um a little earlier about you going to the san francisco school of the arts and i saw in the video that was on buzzfeed um you were being interviewed and one of the things that really struck out about your interview to me is you said i'm funny and i i know people know that i'm funny but i don't want them to think that's the only thing that i am mm-hmm. which i think is amazing i think that is a struggle that every comic goes through yeah and so to have that awareness so young i think is amazing so what i really connected to with your stand-up because i i mean i started watching your stuff maybe like late teens early 20s like shortly before i got into stand-up mm-hmm. 
And I just liked how you would weave in things about sexuality and mm-hmm. race and all. And I felt like it was very smart and it was very different because a lot of times you would just see like white dudes talking about race, which is like <laughs> valid, but it was like you want a person of color. So I wonder, do you think maybe your need to talk about like body image or like queerness uh, do you think that was part of your way of making sure that people didn't just think you were like, oh, I'm just making airport jokes and like hotels are smelly, you know, like you want yeah. to so you have more substance to you than that? or what Well, you- I had just had like more to write about, you know, mm-hmm. like if I can look at race, which I was doing a lot. And for me, it was just important because I was seeing so much racism, especially uh, against Asians. In comedy clubs. And so, like, there was— Wait, what was happening? You just mean with the jokes, or do you mean, like, the actual bookers were being awful, too, or— No, no. It was mm. more like the jokes. Like, mm-hmm. there were so many Asian driver jokes or, like, Chinese restaurant jokes or yeah. eating dog jokes and these kinds of things that were very common and not considered racist. Mm-hmm. Like, you were only considered racist if you were talking about black people. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was like, no, there's actually more to racism than yeah. that. It, there, there was, like, this way to legitimize um, this idea of racism against other races. Mm-hmm. And then also it was a place for me to start writing about what I actually knew about. This makes me think about sometimes with the show that Jess and I do – uh, we're two black women, and then, but we want to like mix it up. So we want to have women on, mm-hmm. people of color, and queer people. But I noticed that if we don't have like enough quote unquote black people on, people will get upset. And I'm always like, well, diversity is not just white and black people. Yeah. And there's like this sort of an erasure that happens mm-hmm. um, with other races as if they don't count as people of color. Right. I think what's great now is that. For instance, your conversation with Tilda Swinton and mm. Constance Wu speaking out, I really do think people are finally starting to listen to Asian Americans, which yeah. I think is like, hello, it's 2017. <laughs> but I'm wondering, like, how do you feel about your place in the legacy of that? Because really you do play a part in why people are starting to pay attention. So how do you feel that you've kind of helped people recognize other cultures? I think just existing within um – this very narrow view about race mm-hmm. and how we talk about race. And um, it's like this very – it is erasure and it's very weird when like you talk about diversity. It's actually like a very limited conversation if you're not really talking mm-hmm. about the full spectrum of diversity. Exactly. And so it's good. I like the fact that I have had um, an opportunity to talk about all of this stuff. And I love the entire dialogue around – Oscar So White mm-hmm. and diversity around award shows. And that's actually created a shift in the way that there's a lot more um, people of color in different categories now. Like, you know, people are nominated. Like, mm-hmm. it, it was just this shock to the system that needed to happen. But we're still not – like, there was not one Asian person at the Golden Globes. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's been that way for – since the last time I was – involved in it, you mm-hmm. know. So, I mean, I I feel like there still needs to be more to say about diversity. Yeah. And I, I think it's great that you're speaking out and other people are. Do you do you get, like, any sort of pushback from her? Or are people kind of like, yeah, no, she Margaret's making valid points. Like, what is it? I guess I'm making valid points. I don't yeah, know. You are. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm making valid points. Yeah. I also think, like, it's really fun to mm-hmm. just kind of, like, talk about race. That whole Tilda Swinton thing was so funny to me because it was like 
Do you want to like just give a little background oh. for people just in case they're not up to speed? So, oh, this is yeah. great. Okay. So um, Tilda Swinton got cast in Doctor Strange and um, she was playing a role of an Asian man. And so she was receiving a lot of criticism online about it, which is something she really didn't understand mm-hmm. or know how to deal with. So she wanted to talk to me about it. So she got my contact info from um, Mrs. Swan from Mad TV. <laughs> Because I think that she thought that she was Asian. Anyway, no. <laughs> it's like all the levels of like oh, irony are man. so amazing and so hilarious. So anyway, um, oh. Alex, who uh, is Mrs. Swan, gave gave mm-hmm. her my uh, email and phone number and stuff. And then so Tilda reached out and she was like trying to figure out what to do and asking me to tell her what to do. Mm-hmm. And it was weird because it was like the subtext of the conversation was really – like, I felt like I was a house Asian. You know, like, I was, like, in her bedroom, like, brushing her hair, like, yes, Missy, yes, yes, madam. And, like, I just felt so weird about our conversation. Mm-hmm. And then she also asked me not to tell anybody that we spoke. So it was, like, this right. whole thing that made me feel really weird. And mm-hmm. so I was talking to Bobby Lee about it on his mm-hmm. podcast. And so it all kind of um, was out in the open, and I— uh, I didn't think anything about it, but she got mad and she sent all of our correspondence, I guess, to Vanity Fair, which is uh, great. So, and it just, the whole thing is that it's just our conversation, which is still very much the same way that I presented it. Yeah. It's always tough because I have, you know, a lot of friends outside my race and you, you want to have these conversations where you kind of explain things so they get it, but you also don't want to feel like they're just, Looking at you, be like, hey, so explain to me about everything. So it's yeah. this really tough balance, and I'm always trying to figure out how to navigate that. How do you How do you navigate that? Well, the thing about it is that when white people are asking questions, they're looking for backup. Like mm-hmm. all white people do when they're talking about race isn't really to talk about race. They're looking at you to back them up. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> like they it's can, okay for me to say this, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they can tell other white people that they're right. Mm. This is the entire function of white people asking people of color questions. I've thought about it now for a long time. Yeah. And your opinion matters very little. It's like they're just looking for a way to justify to their other white friends that what their racist thought is mm-hmm. or whatever is okay. Yeah. And so, okay, so now we have... A show like Fresh Off the Boat, which is out, which mm-hmm. is only the second, and you're the first, the American Girl in 1994, which yeah. I can't believe it took that long. I know. And it was kind of like you had kind of some difficulties with the show and with ABC, and maybe mm-hmm. they weren't like allowing you to tell the kind of stories that you, you want to tell. And then you talked about how when Fresh Off the Boat came out, I think it was in your special yeah, Psycho. Yeah, Psycho, yeah. Uh, you talked about how Eddie called you mm-hmm. to kind of like have you sort of like talk him through the experience. So how did it feel to have like all these many years later to kind of like be this source of inspiration for another show on ABC and have them get it right this time? Oh, it was super cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I was really excited, and I've been a fan of Eddie Huang for a long time mm-hmm. also before that. And, of course, um, you know, with the show, I, I really was so proud that they finally got to do it. You know, that's really, really great. And my show had a very different tone and feeling, but in a sense, it really hit a lot of the same arenas when we are talking about race mm-hmm. and this Asian-American family, which is really cool. So now there's 
uh, Fresh Off the Boat, and then there's Dr. Ken, mm-hmm. which is a show that I love that I'm on to, so that's really great. And there's also in Canada, there's a show, which I haven't seen yet, called Kim's Convenience, which is uh, all about a Korean convenience store, but it's Korean-Canadian family. It's really powerful to know that you got to create this thing, and people really got a lot out of it, so much so that they're recreating it so many years later. Yeah. Do you think we're at a point now where I think I'm I'm kind of feeling that way with chills like Atlanta and Insecure where it's like, oh, black people can just be like kind of regular people and yeah. have regular jobs. And do you feel like the same way with like Dr. Ken and Fresh Off the Boat where it's just kind of like you guys are just regular people. It's not like, whoa, this is wild. Yeah, there's not like some weird like trick. You mm-hmm. could only like have shows before about Asians if there was some sort of trick involved like – you know, if there's a crime show, they would have an Asian episode every couple of years because there'd be trouble in Chinatown. <laughs> there's no, like, real trouble in Chinatown. There's no real, like, sense of this being a crazy, outrageous family. It's it's just another American family, another way to look at an American family. So I, I'm i really pleased. I think it's really – it's going very well, and hopefully we'll see more. Yeah. You know, that would be really good. Um, okay, so we got to wrap up here. But I – so I was trying to ask this question earlier, but then I got sidetracked. So – I think a lot of people really appreciate not only in your stand-up, but in your life and your presence. Like, you really were, like, an activist. You were going out. You are really trying to make a change. And so uh, what sort of inspired you to really get involved in advocacy? Because I think a lot of times performers, there can be, like, a hesitancy. Like, oh, I don't want people to think that I'm trying to tell everyone what to do. But I feel like you just dove just right in and were just like, I'm just going to be. We kind of have to. Like, yeah. you know, like. I think that being a woman, being a woman of color, being Mm -hmm. in this profession, which it's like all white guys in comedy, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to have like some point of view. Like a lot of times, too, I noticed other and there were other Asian-Americans and a couple other women around Mm -hmm. when I was just starting and and they were sort of doing this very, very identity-less comedy. Like they were Mm -hmm. like, I want to be treated as just as good as any white guy comic. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to do material just like a white guy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't think it works that way. Like, I don't think that we have the luxury of not having our identity within what we do. I think it it was just so important for me to be all about, like, what I was doing, like, what marches I was going to. I was a lot of, like, political stuff. Like, when I started, it was during the Reagan era. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of, like, Rock Against Reagan, like, a lot of events that I was going to and eventually being a part of. You know, there was a lot of raising money for AIDS and AIDS activism. And then Mm -hmm. a lot of those represented my very first chances to really perform is AIDS benefits. Um, A lot of that kind of stuff was where I learned to be a comic. So I really needed to uh, have my activism as part of my being in every way. Yeah. What what sort of advocacy things are you doing now? Like I feel like your life is you're going through like a nice transition right now. Yeah. So what so what are you what's your focus? Like what are the things that you're passionate about? Well, right, right now, now mm-hmm. I think we're all going to be focused on trying to figure out what to do about Trump. Yeah. And so what do you think about Trump? Like how are you processing all of this? I'm so freaked out yeah. and I'm so upset, you know, and I I I feel like this is not going to end well. Like it's mm. just crazy. And I hope that there's a way to stop it. I hope that there's a way to fight back. Right now, all we have is protest, although Mm -hmm. protest has been quite elegant 
and eloquent and exciting. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm going to the next march, which is I think June 5th. Which oh, is gonna yeah, be it's going to be national. Yeah, yeah, in D.C., yeah. right? Yeah. 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 So I'm going to go to that. Um, I'm going to just be trying to figure out how we maneuver this mm-hmm. and, and how to talk about it in comedy. I think all comics, we need to uh, really use our power here because comics actually can really change – so much of the world and the mm-hmm. worldview, and a lot of that has been dominated, especially with during the Bush era, by white men. And and I feel like now it's going to be um, the rest of us mm-hmm. who are going to have a lot to say and a lot to do. So this is a good time. This is an exciting time. I'm trying to write material as mm-hmm. much as I can, get out there and do as many shows as I can to get really razor sharp mm-hmm. and get in there, cut it up. Yeah. It's going to be good. That's awesome. I'm glad you've been killing it for so long, and and thank you for everything that you're doing outside of comedy and within comedy. It really, it's affecting a lot of people's lives in such a positive way, so I just want you to know that. I'm so glad. Thank you very much. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you. All right, babies. That was such a good episode. Phoebe, Phoebe, hey, hey, hey. Um, Hi, Lana. Hey, Phoebe. I just forgot this one one, um, thing. I'm, Uh, I'm signing off. I get totally get it. I just it is important just to represent this idea really quick. Um, okay. One thing I forgot is um, Neiman Marcus is selling collard greens mm-hmm. for um, sixty six dollars. Frozen collard greens, not even good ones. Um, and I just I, I had to apologize for it. I was just yeah. I, what is, what's up with that? That's fucked up. I have no idea. <sighs> you know, I learned about collard greens the same time I learned about kale and hummus, and I, that's. Years after I knew about Neiman Marcus as a Jew, as mm-hmm. a New York Jew. So um, I'm so sorry. I just saw this on my newsfeed. It's also um, $15 for shipping. What? Fifteen fifty for shipping. It's too much. I don't know what's what in this world. Maybe I shouldn't even be bringing it up. I- I'm sorry. Just I'm sorry for bringing it up. I'm sorry for the thing. And sorry to interrupt. And I'll go. That's, I just, that's a lot of apologies. Yeah, so sorry. Okay. So sorry. Well, um. All right, uh, so I guess we uh, will end on that. Yeah. That um, note. Love you cool. and love you listeners, and I'll get out of here. Okay. Uh, well, uh, tune in next week, guys. Um, thanks for that, Alana. <sighs> the So Many White Guys team includes Rachel Neal, Joanna Solitaroff, Jim Poyant, Paula Schumann, Isaac Jones, Jeremy Bloom, and Joe Blord. Our theme song was written by Alex Overington and sung by a bunch of white dudes. A special shout out to Kathy Wong, because without her, this episode wouldn't even be possible. Thanks so much, boo-boo. You can check out extended audio from today's interview with Margaret Cho on the WNYC Studios Twitter page. You'll be able to hear fun, juicy things about stand-up, life, and dating. You can also follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DopeQueenPhoebes. And don't forget, you can always find us on WNYC.org, Google Play Music, and iTunes, hashtag YQYE. I love talking about poop. It's so funny. It, it it's is weird. there a, a poo cast like a only 
That would be awesome. Don't you think, like, if there was, like, if you just, like, interviewed, like, people from all different walks of life, yeah. but all you did was talk about shit? Yes. That'd be amazing, actually. That would be cool.